Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code CHAT at therapynotes.com. Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to traumatherapistnetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today. Therapy Chat Podcast, Episode 250. This is the Therapy Chat Podcast with Laura Reagan, LCSWC. The information shared in this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. And now, here's your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC. Today's episode is sponsored by Therapy Notes. Between writing notes, filing insurance claims, and scheduling with clients, it can be hard to stay organized. That's why I recommend Therapy Notes. Their easy-to-use platform lets you manage your practice securely and efficiently. Visit TherapyNotes.com to get two free months of Therapy Notes today. Just use the promo code TherapyChat when you sign up for a free trial at TherapyNotes.com. Hi, welcome back to Therapy Chat. I'm your host, Laura Reagan, and you are, if you're listening to this episode when it is brand new, you are hearing this a few days before the the presidential election and the, and many other important national and local elections in the U.S. And I really hope that if you haven't done so already, that you are going to vote. Please vote. Vote like your life depended on it, because even if your life doesn't depend on it, there are people whose lives are depending on on the outcome of this election. It's really important. Please vote. Before I formally introduce my guest for this week's episode, I want to read a quote that many of you may have already heard that is from Sonia Renee Taylor, the founder of The Body is Not an Apology. And for me, this is inspiring because I am hoping that after next week, we will begin to heal and recover as a country from what we've been through individually and collectively. Sonia Renee Taylor said, we will not go back to normal. Normal never was. Our pre-corona existence was not normal, other than we normalized greed, inequity, exhaustion, depletion, extraction, disconnection, confusion, rage, hoarding, hate, and lack. We should not long to return, my friends. We are being given the opportunity to stitch a new garment, one that fits all of humanity and nature. And I am deeply hoping that we will all come together and do just that. Please do what you can to be a part of making the changes that we need. My guest today is a friend, fellow therapist, 
blogger, and author working in the San Jose, California area, Sharon Martin, LCSW. Sharon is a licensed psychotherapist, mental health writer, and media contributor on emotional health and relationships. Her practice in San Jose specializes in helping individuals struggling with perfectionism, codependency, and people-pleasing. Her own struggle to feel good enough inspired her passion for helping others learn to accept and love themselves. Sharon writes the popular blog Happily Imperfect for PsychCentral.com, and she's the author of the new book, The CBT Workbook for Perfectionism. So let's dive right into my interview with Sharon, which took place right before the pandemic really got started. And we certainly didn't know what was coming. But I think like the episode that you're going to hear next week in 251, episode 251, this message remains just as timely, if not more so, as it was when we recorded it back in March 2020. As always, thank you for listening to Therapy Chat. I value you. I'm grateful for you. And your support is keeping us going. Hi, welcome back to Therapy Chat. Today, I'm really happy to be speaking again with one of my favorite people. My guest today is Sharon Martin, LCSW. Sharon, thanks for coming back to Therapy Chat today. Oh, um, it's my pleasure. Always love being on the show. Oh, thanks. I love having you too. And I always hear so much positive feedback about the previous episodes that you've been on. So I'm really grateful. Today, we are, we have a new topic to talk about, which is a book that you put out a little over a year ago, which is called The CBT Workbook for Perfectionism. But before we even dive into talking about that, can you just start off by telling our audience, in case any of them haven't heard you on Therapy Chat before, little bit about who you are and what you do. Sure. Well, I am a psychotherapist, a licensed clinical social worker, and I am in San Jose, California. And so for the last number of years, I've been in private practice. So I see clients um, in my office. And then I also do a fair amount of writing. I I write a blog for psychcentral.com called Happily Imperfect. And most recently, I have written the CBT workbook for perfectionism. And happy to to get into talking to you about that and sort of how that came about. And, you know, the blog, I guess, really was sort of the beginning stages of it, because I do write a lot about perfectionism and self-acceptance on my blog as well. Um, And so there's there's new content there every week as well. So, yeah, that's kind of it in a nutshell. (laughs) Before we really talk more specifically about perfectionism, who do you work with in your practice? What kind of client population do you focus on, if any? Sure. Um, So I work with adults only at this point. In the past, I've done a fair amount of work with teenagers um, as well. But just as quite honestly, as my kids have become teenagers, I've decided to professionally take a break from seeing teenagers at Mm -hmm. work. Good idea. (laughs) Uh, Yes, it's just a little bit too much of it. Um, So I I absolutely love working with um, men and women around issues of perfectionism and codependency self-acceptance, the anxiety, those are kind of the big issues and they all tend to interweave with each other. So I I tend to see clients who have struggled with probably a fair amount of childhood trauma, which they, you know, may or may not have recognized as such that has has led to a number of um, what I would say are coping strategies that are no longer working so well for them. So, you know, things like perfectionism and people pleasing 
you know, caring a lot about what other people think of them, wanting to do a really good job with things, needing to feel like they're in control of things. Sometimes it's procrastination or just feeling, feeling that they're being held back from doing things that they wish they could do or want to do, but feel afraid to do. So that, that's, that's who I see generally. And like I said, you know, it, it tends to be folks who are struggling with, with some combination of those things. And they don't necessarily always see how they all connect together. But, you know, over the years um, of doing my clinical work, I've definitely found that there's, there's a lot of people who struggle with the, that same set of, of issues um, and the perfectionism sort of just being one piece of it, really. Yeah. Yeah, so much. I mean, I, one of the reasons that I became interested in your work is because we do work with similar populations and we have, I know in my practice, I have a lot of people who are very high achieving, intelligent and educated people, and they have outward success. Anyone can see, you know, they have strong (laughs) long-term relationships and they have steady jobs where they've achieved a lot of success and moved up in in the ranks. And, you know, they have, they seem to have, you know, large groups of friends and a lot of material success, but internally they get stuck with certain things and just don't know how to change those things. And, you know, the, the examples that you just gave really capture what my clients struggle with so much. And also me <laughs> and a lot of other therapists I know deal with those kinds of issues as well. We don't always think of it as perfectionism. Yes. That's what I find too, is it's almost as if there's sort of two groups of people, those who know they're perfectionists (laughs) and they readily identify with that label and others who are, are, kind of surprised that um, they actually have a lot of perfectionist traits because it's almost as if the word perfection is a turnoff. Like Mm -hmm. they can't see themselves as a perfectionist because they feel so imperfect that they're, they're not necessarily consciously aware that what they're striving for is perfection. And so if we were to describe it as you have set impossibly high standards for yourself, they're so high that there's no reasonable way that you could actually achieve this. And as a result, you are very self-critical. You know, so a lot of people would identify with that definition Mm -hmm. of perfectionism because we've sort of taken the word perfection out of it, actually. But that's essentially what it is. I don't I don't necessarily even think for myself that a lot of the times I I'm consciously thinking, oh, I'm trying to be perfect. Absolutely not. It's just I feel like it's never enough. Whatever I've gotten done, it's not good enough. It could have been better. And then I feel crappy because I haven't met that expectations or I feel like um, it's not just my own self-judgment. It's also the fear of other people's judgment. Mm -hmm. And I know for myself that I have always been a person who has been extremely sensitive to criticism. And again, I think that's that's often the case with perfectionists is because we're sensitive to it, it feels super painful. So, of course, we want to avoid it by trying to meet everybody's expectations and please them and, you know, do the right thing, if you will, so that people won't be upset with us or they won't criticize us or even worse, they won't reject us or leave us. Yeah. You're, you're naming it right there. I mean, that's what it is that 
I don't think most people would hear what you just said and think that's perfectionism, you know, and, and it is. And so, gosh, it's so relatable what you were saying. Cause I've, for me, it's, I don't tell myself to do things perfectly and mm-hmm. in no way do I think it has to be perfect. It's more like I give myself way more to do than I can do. And then I beat myself up for not getting it all done and don't give myself any credit for what I did get done. You mm-hmm. know? And then God forbid, if I made a mistake in any of it <laughs> too, I mean, I've gotten a lot better, but it's still, you know, and I find that it's something that kind of ebbs and flows, like the more stressed I am or the more something's going on in my personal life, that's really troubling, you know, I'll, get back to that kind of overworking and over setting unrealistic expectations for myself with how much I can get done and just can't seem to figure out how to change it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think that speaks to a lot of people as well. I think this is why we almost sort of think of it like being on that hamster wheel, like Mm -hmm. you can't get off because once you've decided that your self-worth is based on both what you can achieve and what other people think of what you yes. achieved or done is that we just have to keep going, right? It's very hard to let yourself relax, take a break, be able to say to yourself, well, that was good enough. That's enough. You know, you can just leave it like that. We're always chasing something to make us feel not even good necessarily, but I think just adequate. Like I'm measuring up to some bare minimum standard, right? Somehow so it's like not not feel good, but feel less bad. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. When you said that, I mean, it makes me think of an addict. You know, it's after mm-hmm. a while, you you know, it's not about getting high; it's just about feeling less bad. Yeah. Mm-mm-mm. just like shaking my head at myself but you know the good thing is that first of all even though I may not sound like it I know how to help people with perfectionism even though I don't always know how to help myself but your workbook I think it's beautiful how it helps the reader really examine these patterns and habits and change them because the change can seem so impossible, you know, especially when you're just really in it and you can't see your way out at all. Yes. Well, and I, I agree with you. I, I hope I sound like I know something about helping people with perfection. I know you do. <laughs> I had to say that because I was doubting myself. For a <laughs> well, but I think it, it's just it, we're thinking the same thing, which is, you know, we can see where we still struggle with it ourselves. And again, this is you know, it's like part of the problem with the perfectionism is it becomes its own barrier to the solution to it, which is we want to do it perfectly. We want to be 100 percent, you know, sort of recovered from it and no longer have to struggle with it or deal with it at all. But the truth is, for both of us, I think we've gotten a lot better with our perfectionism and our self-criticism and being able to accept ourselves But there's always a you know, a little more space there. There's always new things that crop up, you know, that remind us that, oh, yeah, that still lingers a little bit. Um, I got to, you know, continue to pay attention to that um, so that I don't fall back into some of those old behaviors or old ways of thinking about myself. And and so it's something that we need to just kind of keep being mindful of, I think, as we as we go through life. 
But but going back, you know, to the workbook, um, one of the things about a workbook that I really like is that it's very tangible for people. You know, I I think I'm a very practical person. And, you know, if I'm going to try to solve a problem, it's like, I want to know, well, how do I do it? Like, tell me specifically what the steps are so that I can do them. And when you have a workbook, that's what you what you get. You get specific exercises and questions for you to think about and, you know, write down your answers and practice and try. It. So I really like that aspect of it so that you can actually see particular things that you can do. Um, one of the things I think we want to keep in mind, I, I think really when we're trying to change anything about ourselves, any kind of self-improvement, is that we don't need to do all of it perfectly. This is not, you know, as, as I was saying, I think sort of getting over perfectionism really isn't this all or nothing like we have to completely change all of this about ourselves and no longer care at all about what other people think or no longer be concerned at all about details or organization or hard work or quality work. Because sometimes that becomes the barrier, like I said, that there are, there are some aspects of perfectionism that in moderation can be really helpful and help us do a good job with with work and other tasks in life. But it's almost as if like we've overdone it. And if we can just dial it back to a reasonable amount, sometimes that's where we, you know, where we want to end up with it. It's not like we just have to throw away everything about ourselves or about our perfectionism. Because that can be a, a hard thing for people to accept. Like you don't want me to, you know, work hard at all or you don't want me to achieve or, right. um, you know. It's um, like, well, like I achieved all this success. If I don't keep striving, I'll lose it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or again, the well, what are people going to think if I weren't, if I don't do that anymore? But sometimes, like I said, it, it's really more of a question of, can I just do a little bit less of something? And what could I do in place of that that would be more fulfilling or healthier, add to you know my enjoyment, the quality of my life in a different way instead of just you know the hamster wheel, the hustle, I need to do more. Part of what we're talking about is the slowing down, is the what are you missing out on because you're doing so much of the other stuff. And... Sometimes the stuff that we're spending a lot of time on turns out to not be that important, whether it's your actual job. Sometimes you realize in the grand scheme of things, it's it's not that important to me. Or sometimes we end up just filling a lot of time on tasks like cleaning or rewriting our, our emails so that there's no mistakes in them, which I think we can all agree when we step back and say, none of that's really that important. And there's probably, you know, more fulfilling things that we could be spending our time on. Yeah. Yeah. So so I think part of it is is kind of that slowing down and asking yourself some of those questions. Why does this matter so much? Why am I spending so much time and energy on this? What would happen if I did a little bit less of it? Yeah. And when you were when you were listing the um, kind of feelings and behaviors that people people you work with tend to have and things that I think are addressed in your book, there was something I noticed about it, and you you alluded to this when you were talking about the all or nothing thinking, but, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of that kind of black and white aspect to that type of those thoughts like, well, you know, if I don't do everything, someone will be mad at me, you know, it's like, 
or there's a thousand <laughs> other possibilities of what could happen as well. Yeah. And, and, and probably a, a lot of you who are, are listening are familiar with some of those cognitive distortions, which is a term that we often use in cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT, just for uh, ways that our thinking gets off track, right? We've kind of distorted things in our, in our head. And then those thoughts impact the way that we feel and the way that we act. And the all or nothing thinking is a really common one that we all, you know, fall into. But it's 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 definitely a core issue for, for perfectionists is that we tend to see things in black and white. It's like it's good or it's bad. I'm successful or I'm a failure. You like me or you hate me. I'm a good mother. Or I'm a terrible mother. There's very, you know, it's very hard to see the middle ground because in that middle ground, <laughs> there's the ambiguity, there's the uncertainty, there's the worry and the anxiety, there's the fear of not being good enough. And we're always trying to get to this extreme place because that feels like it's sure. It feels like, oh, that'll, you know, that'll be successful and acceptable. And I'll finally, you know, sort of be recognized and, and get the positive feedback. And I think the love and the acceptance and, you know, some of those things that we really are craving, again, maybe not consciously, um, but we're, you know, we're looking for something or someone to give us that validation. Let's just pause for a moment so I can give you a little bit more information about why I love therapy notes. I switched to therapy notes a few years ago. I'd say it's about three years now, I believe. And I have never regretted it. I was very happy with the EHR I used before, but therapy notes is more intuitive. I love the interface. The customer service is fantastic. And I love how I can get my notes done quickly because I can customize the template that I use for my notes. And there are opportunities to put check marks rather than having to write out the intervention used. So I have cut my time spent writing notes way down, which is wonderful because I like to focus on seeing clients. I know documentation is an important part of our work, but it can also be time consuming. And that is why I love using therapy notes. If you are considering switching EHRs or you're looking for one to use in your practice, give therapy notes a try. You can get two free months by using the code therapy chat. Now let's get back to our interview. Yeah, so interesting as you're talking about that, because, you know, it's so clear how it's related to trauma and attachment mm -hmm. <laughs> that, you know, whenever there's like a really black and white way of thinking that comes up for me, I've realized that is a, that's a clue that this is like a younger part that thinks this or feels this, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like, you know, when you think back to childhood, if you had to do, you know, you felt responsible to do things in your family that children normally shouldn't have to worry about because they're busy playing or going to school or whatever. You, you know, these ideas of like, if I don't do it all, everything will fall apart. 
Yeah. That's not rea- reality, but that's a child's perspective on, you know, being overwhelmed with the responsibilities that they either have taken on or that the parents have put on them because uh-huh. of whatever's going on in the family environment. Yes. And and I think you can easily see where that's the, the fear that's underneath that, that everything's going to fall apart. That's the fear. It's, you know, this terrible thing is going to happen, which, like you said, is probably not true. But because bad things have happened in the past, it feels true. Right. And it feels like if I could just do certain things and do them perfectly, maybe I could avoid this catastrophe from happening, which again, of course, is not true because we don't, none of us really have that much power to control other people and circumstances and, you know, especially as children, but even as adults, there's a lot that's out of our control. But again, that perfectionism is very much trying to feel in control because then I feel safe. Yep. That's it. There's so much of that. And I think when people, I have noticed that it, that feeling of needing to control your environment because you feel so internally mm-hmm. out of control is something that seems really difficult for people or feels very difficult to take on changing that. Have you found that? Say a little bit more about it. Yeah, I want to hear a little more. Well, I just kind of think that when when someone is kind of behaving in a controlling manner and it's causing problems in their relationships or their kids, you know, their Mm -hmm. kids are feeling really anxious because the parent is controlling and the parent is being controlling because they're just thinking that if they don't keep everything under control all the time, that Uh something terrible is going to happen. And when, when someone recognizes that type of behavior, I've often, I've often seen that people seem kind of overwhelmed with that. It would be too difficult to change that. I guess it's just Uh the fear that if they try Uh to change that, they won't be able to, which is. Yeah, I think, I think like so many things though, when, when we're asked to change something, then we have to, we have to be able to tolerate the discomfort of, of the not doing the controlling behavior, right? Like I tend to think of controlling behavior as a way of sort of quieting anxiety, right? That, that fear, right? So I can temporarily feel less anxious by doing something controlling, telling people what to do or something like that. And then if I'm going to say, okay, well, I really should stop telling my husband what to do because it's causing problems between the two of us. That means when I stop telling him what to do, I'm going to feel anxious. And that's very difficult. Right now, I'm sort of stuck with these uncomfortable feelings. I'm worried about what's going to happen. I'm, you know, thinking he's going to screw it up and do it wrong. And again, sort of catastrophizing in the all or nothing thinking go crazy here. And it's so much easier right. <laughs> to just tell them what to do because then I'll immediately feel better. Yeah. So we I, we need to have something else to do. Like you might think about like, well, what could I replace this controlling behavior with? Like maybe I need to do some self-soothing or something to reduce some of my anxiety. So I find it's helpful like once we sort of notice that that's the purpose that the controlling behavior is serving because now I can look for the solution to the real problem. Yeah. Which is I feel anxious and out of control and scared about what's going to happen. Yeah. Well, I I love I think that um although I think the title of your book is wonderful, I think that it people would be surprised to realize how much 
the self-soothing type of exercises and activities are in this book, things that can help you with that, you know, and self-compassion. Yeah. This is what I have said all along is the the title is a little bit of a misnomer, I would say, because while there is a fair amount of CBT in here where we really do look at the perfectionist thought patterns and how those get in our way, there's also a lot of self-compassion and a lot of mindfulness in this book, which this is the approach that I use with my clients. So I guess I shouldn't be surprised that that's, you know, what Mm -hmm. came through in the book that I wrote, because these are the same types of exercises and the kinds of approaches that I use with my clients and I use with myself, you know, so for me, it feels really like a good combination of different strategies that, you know, we need different things at, at different times and for, you know, sort of different pieces of the perfectionism because we certainly do need to change some of our thoughts. But we absolutely, again, anytime we're trying to make a change, I think we need a lot of self-compassion because it's ripe for the self-criticism and the judgment and feeling like we're doing it wrong or that we're not doing enough. And that's exactly when we need to, you know, stop and say, you know what? The self-criticism is not helpful. It is not moving me in the direction that I want. What will actually help me get there is if I could be kind to myself, if I could be understanding, if I could see that I am making an effort, even if I don't necessarily see all of the results behaviorally. Sometimes that comes later. But again, if you can slow down and really look for some of the, the little changes, And sometimes those are just, you know, in our thinking, the little shifts in, you know, the beliefs that we have about ourselves or some of those things left unsaid instead of um, being said out loud to other people. It's not always easy to spot those things. Yeah. Yeah. I can, we can get sort of lost in seeking out the big, complete transformation versus the, you know, the smaller changes that really, the more incremental Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's how I really, I see people change is incrementally. Sometimes people have a big sort of epiphany and a big shift all at once. But even that is almost always because there were little things moving them in that direction and it just all came together at some point. But it's completely understandable that when somebody is ready to make a change, when they have realized that something is causing a big problem for them and they, you know, want to move past it and find the solutions, that they want to do it quick and they want to do it fully and we just want to be done with it, right? And sort of like what I was saying earlier is I think even even with this, we need to have those realistic expectations that it is it is a process of changing ourselves. I love that compassionate perspective, really. It's kind of soothing just to even hear you talking about it. <laughs> well, what I find is that often you don't need to change something completely or get over or even heal something 100%. I mean, I'm Sometimes I'm not even sure what that means, but, you know, if my instead of having a goal of never having a perfectionist thought or never doing particular perfectionist behaviors, my quality of life, quite honestly, can get a lot better 
maybe even if I just made a 50% improvement, which often feels a lot more doable to people. And that's motivating. Yeah. If you actually thought, well, can I can I make this small change? And then you can feel the satisfaction of achieving that. Yeah, it's very it's very similar to what we often hear when we want to make changes to our physical health, like our diet or exercises. You know, if you can't, you know, get to the gym and do hour long workout every day, that doesn't mean we shouldn't do anything. It doesn't mean the extra flight of stairs and the, you know, parking farther away, you know, from the stores doesn't add up and have any benefit. I actually have a example pretty similar to this in the book where I talk about, you know, this basic idea that it's, you know, partly we just want to say, well, if I can't do it perfectly, if I can't do the whole workout, just forget it. What's the point? Mm -hmm. Which really does not make any sense. (laughs) It doesn't. Right? You know what? I've had that thought so much and it's like, oh, well, I won't be able to get to the gym this week just because I don't go one time, you know? Right. Right. But I could, you know, maybe I don't have time to go to the gym today. But maybe I have time for 15 minutes walk around the block. And that does have benefit. Right. There's, you know, there is a benefit in doing some of something or doing something imperfectly. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's so clear when you say it like that, but it's those thoughts are like, so you don't even notice how it doesn't make sense when you think it. Well, right. And that's exactly why we, we as, you know, mental health professionals talk about them as distorted thoughts is because they aren't realistic, right? They don't make sense. Really, they're not based on facts anymore. You know, this is ourselves that have twisted up our thinking into, you know, there's only one right way of doing it. And why bother doing it if I can't do it this particular way? Well, I think, you know, it's really refreshing to talk about this, honestly. And I'm wondering if you would be willing to tell us a little bit about what made you decide to write this? Well, I think it's probably obvious at this point. Or... uh, and I know this is not true just for me is that, you know, both oftentimes therapists and authors, you know, the things that we want to work on or work with are things that are, are deeply personal for us. Um, so absolutely, this has, you know, been my own process of self-acceptance and trying to be less self-critical and um, more compassionate with myself and letting go of some of, you know, these kind of perfectionist thoughts. And so, I mean, initially it, it was, I think, you know, my own process of sort of, you know, getting to a pretty good place with it. Like I said, probably not 100% and that's fine. And, and then being interested in helping other people do the same thing. And really, like I was saying earlier, seeing the connection between these various pieces of perfectionism and other, and other issues and seeing how that all worked together and, and, you know, being able to help other people with it, you know, after doing it for quite a number of years, you know, I realized I have, it's not just that I had a lot of information in my head, but there were a lot of strategies that I would use over and over again with people. And so one of the, one of the, you know, really great things about writing a book is that it allows you to share whatever that information is that you have, you know, gathered over the years with so many more people. I mean, I can obviously only see a pretty small number of people in my therapy practice, but it's super rewarding to be able to 
share the information in a book form, you know, both with other therapists who then can share it with their clients or, or just with other people who are struggling with these same issues. So, yeah, it really was, you know, kind of this natural outpouring, I would say, of really just feeling like, okay, I figured out, you know, a pretty good amount of this. <laughs> yeah. And there's, you know, there are some things here that could be useful to other people. And they're not, you know, they're not, they're only so helpful if I leave them in my head, right? Which I think is the same, you know, for you, it's the podcast, right? I mean, you can get it out there and so many more people can, can learn from what you've learned over the years. Yeah, that's well, I mean, you, I've said this before, and I will say it again. You have an amazing gift of being able to distill what you know and understand into digestible ways of reading and learning about it on your blogs, your, your social media posts. I mean, I find them thought provoking, even when you're talking about a topic that I've read 50 things that you've written about it, you know, it always, it isn't, <laughs> it isn't like canned, like recycled. It's you, you have a way of, you know, putting it into different words and making me think. And it's so thought provoking. And I was really, really impressed and really admire the the work that you've been doing, but this workbook, I mean, it's really great. <laughs> well, thank you. Uh, you know, of course, that's that's the hope and the intention when you set out um, to create something is that it will be meaningful for people. And I, you know, I've definitely gotten a lot of positive feedback, and I think it's definitely a really helpful place for many people to begin. And I say it in the book as well that, you know, for some people, they can pick up the book and work through it on their own. And, you know, I, there are also many people who may want to work through along with their therapist, you know, and bring it in and, you know, review some of the exercises and talk more in depth about some of the topics. So, you know, if you're already in therapy, that, you know, can be helpful. Or, or if you're not, I mean, you may find that, you know, the book brings up some things in unexpected ways that would be helpful to um, go deeper with. Because I think, you know, while it's it's very strategy um, oriented, um, we do we do touch upon, you know, where does this perfectionism come from? And, you know, as we were just very, you know, briefly sort of touching upon earlier, for a lot of people, it comes out of some form of trauma. It, it essentially, I think for most people, is a way of trying, you know, to cope with things that have been really difficult in our lives. Yeah, I think that it's it's a wonderful resource, too, because if someone starts working through and, and then they gain an awareness about how they may be impacted by, say, their family of origin. Then they, you know, even if they've done the workbook alone, it's an opportunity to get yourself into therapy and, and start doing some more work on healing the ways that, you know, that pain has, has led to coping strategies that really just don't work for you anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree. Well, Sharon, it's been so wonderful talking with you today. Where can people find what everything you're doing and in your book? Sure. My website is livewellwithsharonmartin.com. It's a little bit of a mouthful, but from there you can find everything that, that I've got going on. And then my blog on Psych Central is at blogs.psychcentral.com slash imperfect. Again, it's a bit of a mouthful. 
Um, but they can also Google <laughs> happily and perfect you with could, Sharon Martin, right? I, that is probably a good thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> and the book is available at most major book retailers. So on Amazon and uh, often at Barnes & Noble bookstores or um, small booksellers, but you can find it at the big places. Okay. And so that's the CBT workbook for perfectionism. And Sharon, thank you again for being my guest on Therapy Chat today. Thanks for having me, Laura. Today's episode is sponsored by Therapy Notes. There are many ways to keep your practice organized, but Therapy Notes is the best. Their easy-to-use, secure platform lets you not only do your billing, scheduling, and progress notes, but also create a client portal to share documents and request signatures. Plus, they offer amazing unlimited phone support, so when you have a question, you can get help fast. To get started with the practice management software trusted by over 60,000 professionals, go to therapynotes.com and start a free trial today. If you enter promo code THERAPYCHAT, they will give you two months to try it out for free. Thank you for listening to Therapy Chat with your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC. For more information, please visit therapychatpodcast.com. Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code CHAT at therapynotes.com. Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to traumatherapistnetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today.